0: Oh boy! What is up? Welcome in to another uh, post loons post game show that unfortunately comes after yet another Minnesota United defeat. This time at home in front of fans for the first time at Allianz Field in in thirteen or no more than thirteen months because it was October of twenty nineteen. Uh, so you're looking at a year and a half. First time in front of fans, and unfortunately. The 4,000-plus that were at Allianz didn't get uh, a ton to cheer for as Minnesota United falls to RSL 2-1 to in their home opener. Joining me to break it all down, E Pluribus Lunum's Eli Hoff, great friend of 10,000 pitches and great friend of mine as well. Eli, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well, Jeremy. It feels good to be back. I wish we had something a little bit more positive to talk about, but soccer, soccer, I guess, and you know, for the fans who are in the stadium tonight, I feel like they were perhaps at least peripherally happy that they got to watch Minnesota United play in person, even if it was a disappointing result. But yeah, you know, soccer's back. We can't complain too much, except for in the next 45 minutes to hour, however long we go, in which we will probably complain frequently.
0: Exactly. And I do want to start there before we actually get into the match. It's interesting, like the intimate environment at Allianz Field and the differences you saw in the Fane reactions. You definitely sensed more of that frustration, could actually hear specific mm-hmm. things that were being yelled uh, from the crowd onto the pitch. You know, in those types of environments, if there's 20,000 there and there's a full wall, you're still getting the still getting the the supporter section trying to trying to get that team going and trying to get you know push for that push for that goal push for that equalizer but with that intimate environment you really got a sense of just how frustrated these fans were with uh just how the game was progressing
1: i i agree and i think i got even more of that just being on twitter for the game (laughs) that <laughs> yeah. like, and obviously it's it's a lot easier to to voice your your dissatisfaction in a tweet, um, but I mean, you you heard the boos and and I don't think I think well I think a lot of the boos at the end were obviously directed at the RSL uh, time wasting tactics if you want to call them yeah. that, but I, I think there was audible disappointment, especially in just the lack of connection with Juan Agudelo up top and just United's inability to get much going in the box. Like the fans seemed. Yeah. Dissatisfied with that. And I think rightfully so.
0: Definitely. So let's get into this here. Uh, like we said, 2-1 Loons loss. They fall to, uh, you know, it's their second straight loss to open the season. Um, not where you want to be, not where you would project this team to be at this point. It is still early. But, um, you know, you just look at the stats here. I mean, 23 shots on 23 shots, 2 on target. Uh, that's really the, the thing that stands out most is just the amount of, The amount of opportunities that this team had, like the amount of shots that they were able to get, but either they went wide, they were blocked. It it just seemed like uh, they just weren't able to get anything solid, whether that was from the the quality of shots that were taken, the shot selection itself, RSLs you know packing it in, pack line defense, uh, whatever it was, it just seemed like Minnesota United could just – there there wasn't really any – especially in situations where – You think that, okay, this is going to be it. In Minnesota United's last two seasons, we've seen them take advantage of these opportunities, right? And you get that sense, you become accustomed to saying like, okay, this ball is going to end up in the back of the net. And it just didn't happen tonight.
1: No, it it didn't. And it was interesting to watch the progression of chances as the game went on because – Right away, I think this was even, like, the fourth minute or so, uh, Roman Mataner had the ball down in the right wing. He had taken it all the way down where usually, you know, we see a lot of Roman crosses. That's just, like, part of the Minnesota United offense. Um And he got doubled. Drew, drew two defenders to him, and he lost the ball right away. Didn't even get a chance to fire off even just, like, a terrible cross. Like, he was doubled right away. They just shut it down. And that was interesting because, like, it showed adjustment to the Minnesota United offense from rsl which teams haven't always showed in the past and obviously you expect at the start of every season that teams are going to have adjusted to what you did the last season like that's just kind of what's going to happen but they immediately took away kind of that flank so there's more opportunity in the middle then because as a defense unless you're going to park about six at the back it's impossible to cover the entire field so i thought there were more opportunities early on going through the middle but those weren't really happening and you brought up shot selection it feels like a basketball talking point but shot selection was a massive factor for Minnesota. They, the 23 shots, I think you said it was two on target. That's a not a good ratio by any means. Oh, no, no, it's not. It, like, <laughs> not even close to the ratio you want. It, it felt like so many of those shots, uh, at least half happened off the volley or off the bounce or otherwise with the ball airborne. Again, those shots are going to happen. Those are great opportunities. That's how Robin Lud scored. But they're more difficult shots. They're just inherently yeah. less accurate. And Minnesota United is a team that thrives off of creating chaos, whether that's fluid attacking and counterattacking type stuff where you don't really have positions. You just have you know, a player bringing the ball up in the middle and two people he can pass to on either side. And it doesn't matter right wing, left wing, central midfielder, fullback, any of that. They're just players. Or you know, in set pieces, they tend to do well in set pieces. Or the most chaotic situation in soccer is when the ball is bouncing loose in the box and nobody knows yeah. what's going to where it's going to go. And exactly. the easiest way to do that is after a save, when the keeper can't control a save and it bounces back out for somebody else to poke in. Um, and, and that that doesn't happen when you don't put the ball on target. If if the goalkeeper's not having to do anything, you're not going to get that kind of chaos. And Minnesota United didn't put it on target. They didn't get that kind of chaos. And, and I think that was a contributing factor. So many shots from distance. We've seen them hit that. You know, guys like Jan Gregus can hit from there. Guys like Reynoso can hit from there. Even Hassani Dotson when he comes on late. But those are not analytically friendly shots. You know, those are the shots that you take when you're up 1-0 and, you know, oh, we got a banger. We're up 2-0 now. You, you can't be taking those when it's a 0-0, 1-0, 2-0 game.
0: Yep. And uh, so I've been following this team since 2018. That was the first season I saw Minnesota United. I saw a lot of similarities tonight that I saw in that 2018 team, especially in the method that they attacked. Push it up the wing, cross it in push it up the wing, cross it in, push it up the wing, cross it in time and time again, where, uh, and even in 2019, that was the case a lot. Uh, but, you know, last year, especially after the addition of Emmanuel Reynoso, you definitely saw a more fluid attack and more well-rounded attack only really cross, you know, pushing up the wing and crossing it in when the situation called for it. The thing though is, Eli, that method actually worked tonight when you talk about what you want to accomplish with doing that. Balls fell at the feet of Minnesota United players. A-plus chances inside the box, but as we mentioned, uh, a lot were blocked. A lot went wide. Just couldn't, couldn't put the biscuit in the basket when it came down to it.
1: Yeah, and, and what I found interesting as far as just issues go was rather generically, Minnesota United's touch that there were a lot of passes, especially that Reynoso was sending in that were good passes, that were accurate passes, and were just being mishandled. And by mishandled, I mean more like misfooted once they were received. Like, Minnesota players seemed unable to receive a pass, turn, and then fire off another pass, or make a dribble, or or get a shot off. And it was a lot of passes coming out of the defense, a lot of passes that Reynosa was sending. He had a lot of really nice low through balls. Those are super hard to place. But they're super valuable, too, because they're right at a player's foot, like a throw ball that hits you in your dominant shooting foot is like one of the easiest finishes in the sport yeah. of soccer, besides yeah. like a penalty, you know, and Minnesota United players weren't taking them like that. Like those, those passes weren't connecting. So that's a factor as well. I don't think it's necessarily Reynoso's fault because again, they seemed largely accurate, but you know, Juan Agadello's touch was not impressive up there at all. Um, obviously strikers are often only as good as their support. So, you know, it's wrong to place too much blame there. But I wasn't seeing a lot of great runs from him. He wasn't, you know, making himself available or open to passes. My take with strikers that I'll say over and over until I'm blue in the face is that it's positioning that matters. Because every striker can more or less convert chances at the same level. It's about, you know, an open chance is easier than a difficult one. So if you can get yourself open as a striker to receive a ball, it's going to be way easier for you. And that just wasn't happening. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of frustration... In the attack. Part of what also was so successful last year was Reynoso and Kevin Molino combining and dribbling all over the pitch and playing off of each other and stuff. There's only one half of that combination. And that gives Reynoso a little bit more freedom, yes, but also more responsibility. Towards the end of the game, uh, if you watch the, the possession that led to Robin Lode's goal, it was a full build up possession, which is interesting because we don't see that all the time from Minnesota United. But who came back to get the ball? Reynoso came back to the center circle to get the ball, brought it up, slipped through a through ball to Hassani. De- who then, you know, crossed it into McMaster, and McMaster had a heck of an assist on that, like, we have to credit yeah, him for that, that was a that was a fantastic assist. Um, but it's so tracking back and, get hit and hitting that through-belt to Dotson that, like, makes that play happen. So, I, I, we see, you know, when that works, it creates a goal. When it doesn't work, we get, you know, 94 other minutes of pretty meh attacking soccer.
0: You're just tuning in. This is Post Loons presented by 10,000 Pitches and also brought to you by our friends at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee. Book field time, sign up for $5 pickup, or learn all about Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee at street mpls.com They will also have uh, a few, uh, quite a few Loons watch parties over the course of the season too. So definitely hit up mpls.com for all of that info. Um, Derek and the guys at Ninth Street are awesome. So if you're looking to play some rec soccer or just, you know. Uh, go to an environment uh, that, that is really cool for soccer supporters and soccer players alike. Um, you know, go to 9 pls.com to learn more about Ninth Street soccer and coffee. Uh, but getting back to the match here, Eli... Um, Let's go kind of chronologically here through the main points of the match and kind of what, what we saw, um, you know, and, and what influenced kind of the, you know, the the outcome that we saw here tonight. So um, it all started in the fourth minute. Now, this was kind of the first of those push it up the wing, cross it in. Um, you know, we, we saw that over and over again in this match, and it started in the fourth minute. Um, again, across from Metinier, finds the feet of Reynoso, fires a shot. It's well wide. But at this early point of the match, you're like, "All right, we're getting some good push. Obviously, getting out on the front foot, just like what happened in the Seattle match. Um, you know, you know, and and things are looking good for Minnesota United, um, as you know, just in these first few minutes, getting, like I said, getting on the front foot and getting a decent scoring chance right off the bat.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I noticed early, and it was something that I probably noticed more just because I was paying attention to it, was the positioning of Yuka Raitala. Playing center back because anytime you have a fullback filling in at center back, there's going to be some awkwardness. Like those just mm. those are positions that require very different skill sets. Um, and early on, he was off there. And again, I think that's to be expected going in. I, we don't know how planned out it was for him to be starting there instead of uh, instead of Brent Coleman or you know how early that DeBassy being out was was decided among the team. Um, so, you know, the, for all we know, this could have been decided today that he was filling in there. Um, I would assume there's been more planning, but, the, you know, who knows? Mm. In early on, I, I think this was about the fourth minute. It was shortly after that. Matt Negross, uh like a broadcaster, was away. I saw like, Will Trapp coming over and giving Raitala a little lecture, pointing him and telling him to get back, get back, get back. And then after that, if you look at the average positioning data from the game, Raitala was the farthest back defender over and over from Minnesota United, which I think... Is both good and bad. One, it's good because you'd rather have him be too far back than too far forward, because we saw with that first goal what over overcommitment going forward can do, especially with center backs. But also I think so I think that would showed kind of a more cautious approach from him. Um, but it but it meant he was contributing less to the attack. And one thing that Minnesota United's been been blessed to have in the past is center backs who can contribute to the attack from at times. Um, you know, Boxy's known for having the occasional adventure forward that usually ends pretty well, uh, mm-hmm. especially against the Earthquakes, beating Man Marking. You know, even Aikupara, who 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 knows when we'll see him again. Uh, but, you know, he's able to start a lot of counterattacks. And when Ozzy Alonso isn't there, Minnesota United loses that six who can stop the other team's possession and start one of Minnesota United's own. And so that requires more from the center backs because Will Trap is good but doesn't quite do that. Um, so I think that was evident pretty early in the game, just kind of some disconnect on the defensive end.
0: Well, and, and to the point about Ritala, I mean, that's the exact same thing we saw with Jose Aha last year playing that center back yep. position for the first time. You saw you saw Michael Boxall and him sort of definitely not being on the same page at times and, um, you know, directly negatively influencing that very first match in the MLS's back tournament last year year right so there are some growing pains when it comes to inserting a new center back and we've seen that with with minnesota united but in the case of jose aha with more matches more consistent time on the pitch he grew into a stellar center back for minnesota united yeah. um obviously that was before the insertion of bakaya debasi. But I, I thought he did really well. So uh, all it really, to me, all it takes is, is is consistent time on the pitch. Now, hopefully, speaking of Bakayi Dabasi, hopefully we get him back sooner rather than later, so we can get reinserted into this back line and sort of solidify that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it really is a little bit unrealistic to expect to expect a guy like Raitala to come in first match, match cold and just you know be everywhere he needs to be all the time and make that kind of impact right off the bat. It just it just
1: doesn't happen, right? Absolutely. And in it's important to note that Raytala didn't have a bad game by any means. No, he he played a little bit more he did played it a little bit more cautious, but honestly I think that's what you prefer. And, you know, I, that seemed like it was what Will Trapp told them on the field and I'm sure Adrian Heath echoed that as well. You know, if you're gonna be wrong on position, be wrong defensively. Um so I, I think especially when you look at if you're defenders who had rougher games, I think it was the defender out on the left side of uh, of Ritala who had a rougher game, and that obviously there's there's just there's more strain on that left side of Minnesota United's defense. Teams have caught on to Chase Gasper not yeah. being a top quality left back. I, I I guess we'll jump to this as one of the talking points. I know it probably should come up a little bit later in the chronology, but um, I, I don't think Gasper has regressed this year or is really playing that much worse. I think teams have realized that his positioning can be off a little bit that he's not the fastest fullback in the world and are exploiting that are sending mismatches his way are sending two, three yeah. players down that left side. And it gets worse when Gasper's having to try to compensate for a center back to, or feels like he's having to compensate. And when a center back who's not the most experienced is having to compensate for that. You know, I think now I'm starting to remember, but I want to say two of the goals in the Seattle game were ones that like, just looked like they were targeting that flank and then, you know, the the second RS goal, RSL goal especially was targeting that tonight. And I think the first one, you know, it, it, that's that's a factor. Um, so I, I think that's a bigger picture thing that DeBassy coming back will be really big to help just stabilize that left side.
0: Yeah, and, and speaking of those two goals that you're talking about, it was the two Rui Diaz goals. For yes. Seattle, yes. Um, Coleman got a lot of the direct blame for that. Uh, Pretty deserved. I mean, he was the man who was marking Rui Diaz there, but yeah. that's also Chase Gasper's side as well. So a little of that blame does have to go to Chase Gasper. And then you see tonight the two RSL goals can be directly attributed to bad touches from Chase Gasper. So it's definitely not a great correlation, definitely not a great pattern that we are seeing where teams, as you said, this is probably in the strategy of teams that are playing Minnesota United to attack that flank, especially without Bakayi Debassi there, especially without Aniko Parra there, seeing that as a very weak point for Minnesota United, and it is paying dividends for, at least in the early going, for those opposing clubs.
1: Yeah, and, and what was interesting about tonight was Minnesota United getting beat twice in transition because they've... At least last year, you intended to be a team a lot more that would be getting back pretty well, would, like, have a strong defensive block. I know I talked a lot, especially during the MLS's back tournament last year, about how compact and good that defensive 4-4-2 was. And, and that's not what's happening this year. Last year, it was Minnesota United that was the team that was beating people uh, off the counter. in counterattacks just expose defenders' one-on-one liabilities. You know, it like with Chase Gasper, when he commits too far forward in transition, he's not able to get, have that recovery speed. He's fine speed wise. It's not like he's like too slow to be a, a fullback. He's fine. But, you know, we, we saw in in that first goal that, you know, he, he caught up but was not in a position to do much defensively and then, you know, had an awkward touch of the ball and it contributed to a goal. He's not able to like get back and recover or cover a, a winger as easily as some other fullbacks might be. So it, it will be interesting to see how and if Minnesota United adjusts that. I know Boxall originally started out playing left-center back because it was Iko like Parra on the right, I think. You know, I'm, I might be imagining that, but I, I think that was the, the arrangement for a while. So it would be interesting, is there merit to putting Boxall at left-center back and then leaving the other center back to Ramon Meijer, who's a little bit stronger all-around fullback on that side? Um, and, and I think shows some, a little bit better decision-making in some of this stuff. Um it will be interesting. But obviously, Debasi coming back helps the the backline a lot as well when that Absolutely.
0: happens. I want to pick your brain about something. And this is the second week in a row we're kind of throwing the chronology straight out and that's totally fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, we've seen in years past, uh, you know, the the presence of Ozzy Alonso being a main factor in mitigating teams' attacks before they even really start. right? Now it's Will Trapp playing the six. And we've kind of seen what has happened uh, to Minnesota United in these first two matches. Now, again, we we've discussed the issues on the left side of the back line, but you know, would the presence of an Ozzy Alonso, you know, prime Ozzy Alonso, help kind of mitigate some of these attacks and, and kind of take some of that pressure off the back line? And and is I mean, I know that's not necessarily Will Trapp's style, but would that be a decision that you would consider making if you were Adrian Heath, considering the the flaws that you were seeing on your back line right now?
1: i think if you're adrian heath you you kind of have to because something obviously isn't working defensively um and again you know maybe Debassy helps with that but there's been a big difference in the roles that ozzy Alonso played last year and in years past and will Trapp is playing so far this year one of them just being like positioning and how deep they are ozzy alonzo was a very defensive number six um i i remember making the case that he was, you know, essentially a central playing fullback, like positioning level-wise last year for Minnesota United, that, yeah, sure, he still got forward, but he really operated as a fifth defender, just a center back who got forward, uh, just based on his average positioning from every game, how often he would dip in between that back line, whether that was centrally or on either side of one of the center backs. And that was really huge. That was part of what, quote-unquote, fixed Minnesota United's defense was Ozzy being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Will Trapp doesn't do that as much. I, I don't remember, you know, and I didn't watch him super closely tonight, but I don't remember any possessions where, you know, he dipped in between the center backs to stop a possession, or where he was really kickstarting one, and when you look at his average positioning, he and Jan Gregus were in almost the same spot, which basically tells you that Will Trap is another number eight. Okay, you know, that's fine, but it's different than what we saw last year, because Ozzy Alonso was very much a six, while Jan Gregus was the eight. And that kind of double pivot, there's a reason why the double pivot is used so often it's a six and an eight. A defensive midfielder and one who gets forward more. It, it it works perfectly. But I don't know if that's a, a good or a bad thing, but it's certainly a difference. And and I do think it is contributing. Um I, I I think there's also a tendency, maybe in that first goal, because Will Trapp was the farthest defender back, that's kind of an unfair situation for him to be in. Because while he's technically the more defensive minded midfielder, he's not who I would necessarily want trying to stop that kind of counterattack situation or in a one-on-one duel like that. Um, we talked about this a little bit on air before we went live about who you would want to have back there and, and I really don't understand why it wasn't Rytala back there. Wikipedia has Rytala at 5'11 which seems tall to me um, or taller than he actually is. I, I don't think he's enough of an aerial threat to merit having him all the way forward. He's a fullback playing center back that's the type of player who you want all the way back and there should be two back there and I don't know I'll have to watch that I'm kind of set piece that led to that over it again. felt
0: like a stoppage time corner kick almost. Yeah. Where everybody's pushed up, right? Um, yeah. And it's the way the ball caromed off uh, off the, the Metonair shot from about, I don't know, it was like 25, 30 yards out, whatever it was. I mean, you have to have guys back, right? Um, and yeah. when you don't have guys back, you see what can happen. I mean, it was a perfect carom that led to a perfect counterattack. But that also is the type of thing that can happen. And having guys back obviously can account for something like that happening. Now, yeah. I will say, I actually was pretty—I would say—impressed. But uh, the the you know the track back was pretty good in terms of the recovery was pretty good for Minnesota United's defense, and then the aforementioned bad touch. From chase gasper leads to the goal when he should have just booted it out of the out of the attacking zone anyways but um it just felt like uh, i agree with you eli it felt like an ill-timed sort of all-out corner kick that and they they just got caught at the exact in the exact right way at the exact right time because of it
1: yeah and, and in it, it is interesting to see how many were committed forward but what that leads to is that yes it was kind of a lucky ricochet that led to a good counter but Those good counters are made better when the attacking team has numbers. And I believe that if you look at, like, I think RSL had five attackers. Yeah, five attackers going to Minnesota United's three tracking back. And I will say, from my limited playing experience, and I think anyone who has kicked a soccer ball can reason it, it is easier to be an attacker running forward than a defender chasing to catch up every single time. It is hard to, as a defender to recover, get in front of the ball, and make a tackle that will not get you yellow, red carded, or otherwise commit an infraction. That's just inherently difficult. So RSL just getting that many numbers, that's, you know, analytically friendly. (laughs) Like, five on threes probably turn out pretty good a good amount of the time. So, obviously, it's a lucky bounce, but... Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And in this case, RSL was lucky and good. And Minnesota United had a question we'll touch. That's a good opportunity.
0: Uh, our good friend Jacob Schneider says, shake my head. Eli's head had something on it. Has something on it. Uh, Interesting. Hello, Jacob. I, 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 I didn't comment on this before, but I love I love the salad, Eli. I Thank love you. that. What, what influenced the change and how long have you had that?
1: I, I've been blonde since about January. And just went yeah. with kind of letting it, letting it curl and, and go up top. Um, you know, I was tired of trying to keep it straight and go into the side. So I decided to just kind of
0: just roll with it. Right. Let it go. go, yeah, go yeah. With the green, I'm, I'm about to, it.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm at a bad time be doing something that has my, my, my camera on. I was supposed to get a haircut yesterday and couldn't find the time. So it'll, it'll come down, come down a little bit and get it a little touched up color wise. But that's yeah, I was going shape today.
0: it didn't happen. So it, I get it. I yeah. get it. Um, you know, speaking yeah. of uh, questions, comments. If you have any questions, comments about the game, questions for me and Eli, just overall thoughts, opinions, takes. Definitely drop them in the chat, um, and we will uh, we'll address them on the air. Um, uh, Jake, we're not going to address any more of your comments on Eli's hair moving forward. Uh, but
1: I can't, him, Jacob, runs- I can't even see him, Jacob. I can't even see him.
0: Now, if anybody else has questions or comments about Eli's hair, we may address them moving forward. But, but Jake, we already read your comments, so we're going to move on from that. Um, so, right before halftime, I mean, we get what forty-first minutes, another RSL goal, uh, just another situation where uh, it's a bad touch from Chase Gasper, or, or not an even bad touch. It was a it was a pass back that to nobody. Mm-hmm. That led to basically the, the easiest goal um, of the night, obviously, for RSL. Um, just basically a two-on-none there. Um, anything else besides the bad pass from Gasper that you saw there, Eli? It,
1: it was largely the Gasper pass because I don't think that chance of that goal happens with that. So, you know, uh, like it is difficult and unfortunate at times to like place the blame on, on one player or one situation. It's kind of hard not to in that event. Um, I think that's really all there is to it because that's not something that you would expect your starting left back to do. Again, there, it's about RSL putting heat on him and putting him in situations where he has to make plays, where he has to make decisions, where he has to test himself and get back and get forward into all of that. Um, and, you know, again, when, when a player is tested like that, they're tested like that for a reason. Teams catch on to those. Teams watch film. They prepare for who they're gonna be facing as far as the back line goes, and that left side is the weak is the weak side right now. So teams are gonna target that. And and it's not gonna stop with these two games. Teams are going to continue and like probably go after it even more if they're seeing that it worked for Seattle. Again, I, I think it's it's a testament to what teams are seeing that it was two Rui Diaz goals for Seattle. Because he's one of the best strikers the best in MLS and he knows where his spots are. His it's good strikers position themselves well, so he knows that targeting that side is going to be where he's going to get his better opportunities. So that's where he's going to do it.
0: Um, I just thought a lot of this first half from Minnesota United, you know, they were just trying to be too cute, both offensively and defensively, trying to make flashy plays, trying to you know, uh, flashy shots, flashy passes. It's get the ball out of the zone and get the ball on net, right? Like that really mm-hmm. is me. What what it came down to trying to trying to do too much almost as opposed to just trying to do the simple things. Uh, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I certainly agree, and I think a lot of it came down to just settling for chip type shots, placement type shots outside of the box when that wasn't necessary. Um, I think a lot of players were were part of that. I, I think the lack of connection between Reynoso and Agudello was part of that, there was no pass between them in either direction in the entire first half. Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm curious now to see how many they had. Well, to, to that uh, point, in these first two
0: matches, uh, I feel like if you're Emmanuel Reynoso through these two matches, you have to be extremely frustrated. I mean, you're basically surrounded by a front four of guys that aren't in their, in their primary spots, that aren't in their most comfortable spots, yeah. that aren't in the spots that you've trained with them in all preseason. You don't have the guys with you you don't have the positioning with you so it's it's tough to to develop and maintain any sort of chemistry when i get that it's injury uh you know it's because of injuries but but you know adrian heath is having to kind of shuffle mix and match on that along that uh you know front line for minnesota united and it's just there's there's no chemistry there and it's obvious there's no there's no chemistry there right now
1: absolutely especially when you look at how good the chemistry was last year between Reynoso and Molino. This is this is an attack that really, really misses Kevin Molino. He was so, so key to what they did last year. And obviously Reynoso came became hot at the right time with the seven assists in the playoffs, the, whatever ridiculous or not however many assists he had in the playoffs, that was just a ridiculous streak of it was passing seven. to people yeah. who scored. Yeah. And and obviously that helped, but Kevin Molino makes so much of that happen and they had such a great chemistry and dynamic together. That's missing. I I just looked at the numbers. It was three passes from Reynoso to Agadello. That's not what you want between your number 10 going to your striker. That's just, that's not a functioning attack. That's not a healthy attack, especially when going wide and and sending in crosses and stuff. Yes, that's a strategy that sometimes works, but that's kind of an inefficient strategy uh, because I think everyone will argue that going up the middle and shooting from a central location gives you more of the goal to work with. And there were a lot of just, Those shots from distance, like you said, you know, they they come too cute because they're settling. And this isn't the NBA where perimeter shots are a good thing. You know, like, I look at it as if... I I compare a lot of soccer to basketball because there are a lot of similarities. And they can be viewed through a lot of the same lenses. The shots that Minnesota United was taking were just like open mid-range jumpers. When they go in, they look real pretty. They look real pretty. But they're analytically poor shots because they're just difficult. They're farther away. Even if they're open, that doesn't mean it's a good shot. Um, so I think that was kind of the big factor, was not pushing far enough forward in attack before shooting.
0: Um, it, it just seemed that the pattern continued in the second half. Another A-plus opportunity, more A-plus opportunity, uh, courtesy of Roman Metnair. I mean, Menner could have had six assists tonight. The way he was distributing, and the yeah. way you know he was—he was developing uh, quality chances that just in, that didn't end up in the back of the net for Minnesota United. It seemed like any—he was the focal point. He was the catalyst of any you know legitimate chances that this team had offensively, from mainly from crossing on the right side, but still, it seemed to all start with him.
1: It, it really did, and and actually, to we've talked negatively about Chase Gasper a lot. But he had a, a fantastic cross. I think, it, I think it was the first half uh, that I think fell right to Robin Laud's foot like at the penalty spot. It was just beautifully placed, especially because there was no attacking movement. That's another problem. When you're going to have somebody sending crosses in, you need your attackers to be cutting and making movements to free themselves from attackers or move into space or pull guys out of position because it's a lot harder to just find stationary targets. That's another discussion. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the distribution from Roman... Was fantastic Again, they doubled him early on, and they did that for a reason because he's a threat with those crosses, and he finds ways into space. He's a fantastic fullback, one of the best in MLS, uh, and and he showed why tonight he was a redeeming factor in the attack.
0: A couple minutes after that, a uh, golden chance for RSL, more chaos in front of goal, um, ended up being blown dead for offside. Could have, maybe should have been 3-0 at that point. Then five minutes later, Dane St. Clair keeps it 2-0, lays all the way out to stop a Justin Gladheader off an RSL corner. Uh, Dane played amazing again tonight. I mean, he has been one of, if not the most consistent, uh, you know, piece for Minnesota United over the last two seasons.
1: He has. And actually, I want to talk about those two plays that you just mentioned, because I think they exemplify a lot about this team. First, with that corner that led to the, the, the Dane St. Clair save. It was a fantastic save, and Dane's, Dane's been fantastic and deserves no blame for what happened tonight. Um, but off of that corner, I, I watched the replay back because it looked like a very clean header that forced that save from Dane St. Clair, and, and you wonder, you know, well, how does that header happen off a set piece? That's exactly what you're trying to avoid. You know, let him squeeze off a header that's going to go over the bar or something. You don't want them to put something on target. And it was actually great set piece defense, Watching it back, I, I'm not really sure how Justin Glad got his head so clean. That was just a great play from RSL. So I don't think that chance. Obviously, if you're RSL, you're probably like, dang, that really could have been 3 0. You, you can't blame Minnesota too much for giving me that one up. The chance before, though, that really should have been 3 0. What if the more interesting defensive bailouts with the player just like having curled up on the goal line and then having the shot kicked into him and him being offside? It works. It's questionable defense, but it works. But before that, you saw a lot of the miscommunication or lack of chemistry, whatever you want to call it, with the defense. Because the ball was out on the far wing, the right wing, and you had three Minnesota United defenders bite towards the ball. So they were still tracking back, but they were moving towards the ball. RSL had three attackers who, again, attackers are tend to be smart people, Who find space? Those attackers moved. Three attackers moved behind the three defenders who were going to the ball. So now all of a sudden you had three wide open targets. You had Román Metinier who recognized what was happening and was behind all those attackers but trailing on the play. You know I don't know if that's a positioning thing for him. So him trying to cover, but he's be able to do anything there. Anytime you have three defenders moving towards the goal without a single, three attackers moving towards the goal without a single defender in front of them, that's a great chance. So yeah, that one that one very much should have been three zero. United's lucky to have not conceded there. And by lucky, they're very lucky because RSL blew that change for themselves by playing goalkeeper in an offside position.
0: Uh, 59th minute underlines a point we sort of already uh, touched on. Uh, Metnair, again, of course, it's Metonair. uh crosses into the box. Agadello can't quite turn on the ball, pops up a weak shot well over the bar. I was going to sneeze there. I didn't sneeze, uh, but uh, just, uh, I mean, j- just kind of underlines the night that Agadello had just, you know, couldn't quite find his footing couldn't quite just, just find his way um, into any sort of excellent chance. That was his best shot of the night. But again, it was just a pop up weak shot over the bar. Um, and that's when really the, I think the frustration really started to set in with the Minnesota United faithful. I think Jacob Schneider uh, tweeted something that he really started to hear some, kind of negative comments from the fans uh, directed toward Agadella, but more directed toward the team, you know, just again, another chance, another quality chance that went astray. You're still down two 0 nil at that point. Uh, just, just another sort of uh, lost opportunity there.
1: And this was the point in where I think I tweeted right around this time from the ePolarbus account, Adrian Uno cannot be ready fast enough for this team yeah. because they need a striker. And I, I really think he's going to be good because I think he fills sort of what we didn't see from agadello tonight. He's a striker who contribute a little, who can, and this is, I haven't watched any tape on him, I should clarify this. This is all what I gather from, from scouting reports and, and numbers I've seen on him. But it seems like he can contribute to build up play, which is good for that kind of counterattacking stuff because that also might help not have Reynoso be so isolated if they can work together a little bit more. Uh, I, I think that creates a, a really good dynamic between your number 10 and your number 9. Additionally, he's good just defensively and positioning-wise, which Agadello put a little bit of pressure on tonight that was good, but the engine just wasn't there for him, and I'm not one to ever criticize players' effort because we don't know how healthy they are and what goes into all that and what they've been told. But he just he wasn't playing that mobile up top. And again, that's fine, but it's, it's not pressure up there. He's not finding those gaps. One thing that I loved with... Um, with uh with Luis Amaria last year was how often he'd make far post runs and just make these yeah. really really nice runs that were like so easy for attackers to find with crosses because a cross or a cross is only as good as the people they're passing to if they have an yep. open cross that's easier than a, than an not open cross it's a lot of these just really simple things that strikers can do that you know, Agudelo wasn't wasn't doing tonight and I and I think Unu we'll be able to bring to the table once he arrives and, and is acclimated to the team. And, and who knows what he has to go through with COVID protocols and all of that. But.
0: I do think it's a shame that uh, Ramon Abela is, is really struggling with the hip issue right now. Um, he, he had, he had mentioned today, he put out a clarification on his Instagram story today that um, you know, the, the hip necessarily isn't still injured at this point, but being that Lumen fields where they played last week is uh, is a turf field. Um, it did sort of develop a lot of soreness and it was a little bit, a little bit uh, difficult for him to kind of recover from that. So that's why he wasn't in the uh, 18 today. But uh, still, I mean, th- he would have been kind of that perfect, perfect guy to have in there for these first however many matches until Adrian Hunu can get can get fully fit and fully ready to go. Uh, kind of pass all the protocols he needs to pass because of that. At chemistry that he's already built with Reynoso, because of the quality that we saw just in the few minutes that he was on the field against Seattle. I mean, having him for for nine or you know for seventy-five plus there is seventy-five plus tonight. That in and of itself could have been a huge difference maker for Minnesota United, but alas, it's not the case.
1: No, and the the answer at striker will determine a lot for this team going forward because it's been a hole in both the games so far. And and I honestly the the Robin Lloyd as a fall strategy, I haven't hated it. I didn't hate it last year. I didn't really hate it against Seattle. Uh, you know, there are better options, there will be better things that happen. But I, I think if Minnesota can find the answer in Unu who who I think really will be that answer, that will be big for this team going forward because a lot of these teams that have those elite level strikers who the you know the Rui Diaz is the, the Alan Politos Those strikers can just command attention sometimes that that frees up opportunities for your other attackers, too. So the kind of gravity that is going to bring, I think, will be if nothing else, that alone will help with this team.
0: I think what it comes down to with Minnesota United, too, is and I said this in the season, like if they get if they get a high quality left winger, they don't necessarily need a uh, high quality striker. Uh, we saw that last season with with what they were able to do with kind of the ro- rotating striker position that they had. It didn't really matter because they had Kevin Molino on the left wing, right? Uh, and I just think this team... Now, any team, I guess, would struggle in this situation too. If you don't have a quality striker and you don't have a quality left winger and you have both those problems happening and you run that four two three one that Adrian Heath runs, you are going to struggle to put the ball in the net. That's really what it comes down to. Um, and, and they have... Major holes, major gaps at both positions right now. Obviously, the insertion of Adrian, who knew, um, is you know kind of the plan ends those issues. But it really is just me. It's just that simple. That craters at both most positions, and that's really hard to overcome.
1: It it makes me wonder. I've I've liked the four two three one generally that Heath deploys, but as I was watching the game tonight, I was talking myself more and more into. A pretty fluid 4-3-3. You keep the back four the same. It's Metner, Boxel, DeBossi when he's healthy, Gasper for now. But with the midfield, because Trapp and Gregor seem to be playing as two number eights, what if you make that a three-man midfield and you bring in Ozzy Alonso at the six? You get everything you had from him last year. It was a look that Adrian tried for. Adrian Heath, I should say. Tried for a lot last year, but didn't quite come off because because um, Hassani Dotson can be a little awkward playing as that eight because he's not really a six, not really an eight. You know, like... I, I don't know if anyone can really say what Hassani Dotson's best role is because I don't know if we've ever seen him play three consecutive games in the same position. And yeah, we do, You know, he he's great with that versatility, and he's a good player. I just I don't know how to use him most effectively. I haven't seen that yet. So having that three man midfield of Trap and Gregory ahead of Alonso, Trap and Gregory both know what they're doing. They can get forward, and and then putting you know Re- Reynoso and Finlay as the two attacking midfielders, not really wingers, just attacking midfielders who can go where they want. If one of them wants to go down the left and the other go down the right or centrally, however they want to work that underneath Adrian Unu, I I think that could be a really successful team. So I'm starting to to lean more towards a 4-3-3 being the answer, especially with concerns on the left wing and rotation there. I thought the inverted wingers tonight were a good idea, but it ended up awkward watching Ethan Finley sometimes try to cross with his left foot. He's just not going to be as effective with his left foot as he is his right because he's not the type of player to really cut in and shoot so much. Uh, Whereas Robin Lud playing on the left side is still going to bring you that that attacking midfield dynamic needs to be worked out. Especially in the lens of Minnesota United having kind of a a different overall philosophy this year. Last year they were very sit-back and counter and it was fantastic. In in this game tonight I think they had 60% possession against RSL and were dominating the pace of play. You know, breaking down a defensive block a lot and that's more difficult than this team was doing last year. So, again, opponents are adjusting. This team has changed. we we can't expect the same attacking system to work every week for Minnesota United.
0: Uh, This is the second match in a row that Minnesota United has trailed by multiple goals late and they've inserted Ozzy Lano into the match. Obviously it was four nil or no, it was three nil when he came on uh, in the Seattle game. So maybe that is a little more out of reach, but two nil you're right in the thick of it, obviously still trying to push for, you know, to get something out of the match um and you know we all have Ozzy Alonzo, but he's a defensive midfielder um so so how do you rationalize sort of that um that substitution uh specifically considering the flow of the match and what minnesota united needs needed to do there you know in the 74th minute
1: yeah i I think there are a few considerations one kind of basically could just be fatigue you know we don't know what the conditioning really looks like for for whoever he's replacing in either game um, you know, it can just be fresh legs in the midfield can be big. Um, uh, I think there's a leadership perspective too with Ozzie. You know, we, we know he's a leader because he's Ozzy Alonso. Like he's one of the most vocal players in the league. So bringing him on late can kind of provide that boost, that energy boost. Um, you know, we saw him flipping out at the referee that, you know, I was like, oh, yep. Ozzy's in like, you just, you, you see that happen. You recognize that kind of intensity from him. I, I think tactically. What having him play so defensive can do is it can free up Jan Gregus to get even forward. It can free up whoever the other midfielder is to get even further forward. Because when you put Ozzy in, if I'm the other central midfielder, I feel more comfortable getting forward because I know ozzy has got my back. He has my help. You know, it's basketball defense. You can play for the steal. You can play the three a little bit more if you know you've got your help underneath. That's what Ozzy Alonso brings. So, yeah, it's kind of counterproductive to bring on a defensive midfielder when you want to be going forward and getting that goal. But I, I do think it it has benefits for freeing up attackers, which it, it's kind of, you know, there are a lot of subs to go around, but if you can bring on one player who will give you leadership, energy, and free up your attackers, that might be more valuable than trying to make a change with one of those attackers. I think there's an argument to be made for that.
0: Speaking Speaking of subs, there has been one guy that Adrian Heath has brought in, in these first two matches, and he has made you know a, a significant impact in both the matches, and that is Justin McMaster. Um, first match, his first touch is a shot on goal, right? And then tonight, you know, provides the assist for Robin Lodde's goal to make it two-one and you know give Minnesota United a chance to crawl back. Um, just what what have you seen from him specifically in his game? Um, to sort of you know put him in those those good positions, kind of make those. Imp- and uh, you know, just kind of provide that quality he's provided at least in the early going for Minnesota United.
1: Yeah, I think I'll, I'll want to rewatch to to see what he's brought as far as you know overall presence and impact. But that assist was a fantastic going that, that touch, you know, touch. On, in in great awareness to know that that load was there to handle that off across. You know, that's that's one of the best assists that, that you'll you'll see in a kind of in the box situation. Obviously, you'll see impressive you know forty yard passes that land on a dime, um, but fantastic assist it, he's been great as an impact sub you you wonder at a certain point well does he deserve to start um, I think this is kind of the the discourse we had around Raheem Edwards during the MLS's yep. back tournament and shortly thereafter of like here's this guy who's come on late in games and looked really good coming on the you know either wing he I, I remember Edwards playing both late in the game you know what what would he bring if he started and and correct me if I'm wrong but I don't think we ever really got to see that come to fruition with Edwards um so, I, I wonder if it'll be different with McMaster. I, I think health will matter if, if Nico Hansen comes back to play on the left wing, what the dynamic looks like with um, with Adrian Uno. But, you know, it, if I were the coach of this team right now, if looking at only the personnel available for tonight, I, I feel like it can't hurt to start McMaster on the left wing, maybe, I, especially just because the attack has, has looked so uninspired. And, and I think tonight they generated 1.5 expected goals, RSL got 1.4. Again, it goes to show that like, XG isn't everything because I think even if the the advanced analytics say Minnesota United had the better chances, I think we can both agree that RSL was the one who really did. Um, so, the the chance creation just really hasn't been there from Minnesota United, and and maybe you mix something up in there personnel wise. At a certain point, it's worth a shot. Yeah,
0: absolutely, I completely agree. Um, and then. Uh... 90 plus five, referee blows the final whistle. RSL goalkeeper David Ochoa, who's also the goalkeeper for the U.S. Uh, Men's National U23 team, punts the ball into the Wonderwall after he was getting heckled a little bit for running down the clock. Um, and that starts a bit of a, a scuffle, shouting, pushing, shoving between the two to get, you know, Hassani Dotson in there, Roman Metinair, Michael Boxall in there as well. Um, just a very, very chippy end to uh to a disappointing match for Minnesota United
1: yeah it, it's it's interesting and, and I never like to read too much into these because we as viewers on on TV at least in my case can't really hear what's being said on the field and, and all that stuff so it's hard to you know it's hard to to know what exactly was happening there um, a, a keeper punting the ball into the supporter section never really necessary hard to make a case for that and so you you do you like to see these kind of Skirmishes, whatever you want to call them, at the end of games happening because it shows that Minnesota United has some some pride here. Uh, you know yeah. that they defend the fans. They don't like seeing that, but it, it's also hard to as a from a fan perspective to watch that happen, and you kind of wonder, well, where was that? Where was that fight in the last ninety five minutes? You yeah. know, what if you what if you would have you know defended your honor and, and defended whatever you're defending? You know, what if you would have defended your goal like that on some counterattack defense or push forward a little like. You kind of wonder those things. So it's it's all interesting speculation and it makes for an entertaining product. Um, but but probably, you know, as far as locker room stuff, it's good to see that unity. Uh, much better to be getting into a shoving match with the other team than with your own teammates, if nothing else.
0: All right, so let's look ahead. Next Saturday night, welcome in the uh, expansion club, R-R-R-S-L, Austin FC <laughs> to Allianz Field. Um, I think Adrian Unu, I I don't know what exactly the uh, pro was specifically for like high calls were as far as, uh, you know, guys coming in from out of the country. Uh, So I'm assuming he'll have to go through a 10-day quarantine just because I don't really know you know what else there could be so assuming that adrian unu would not be available for the austin fc match but again we're not sure what the quarantine calls are like for signing but um anyways obviously some changes do need to be made um just based off the fact that um you know it's it's been six one combined score over the over these first two matches what do you want to see different for yeah. minnesota united next saturday night
1: well i i you have to expect some quality from Austin I see now they they came back from 1-0 down uh to beat Colorado 3-1 with three second half goals on the road at altitude so yeah this is this is a quality team so it's not a gimme by any chance um i think it's just going to be going to be health i i find it hard to believe we're going to see a much better outcome from Minnesota United without getting guys like Debassi back without getting Unu or just some sort of solution if it's Abila up top. Um, I, I don't think we'll see the same starting eleven. Agent Heath made some pretty significant changes for this one, which would seem to signify he's he's not too happy after that Seattle loss. Yep. We saw, you know, switching wingers around. Even if it was sort of health-prompted with Abula Agudelo starting up top, um, I, I I really could see that 4-3-3 breaking out because that kind of seems to be what, what Heath likes to go to as his backup option, some sort of 4-3-3 talked about a little bit ago I think that would be a really good option for this team but you you just you you want to see some sort of inspiration whether that's just better chances created because neither of these losses have been particularly close ones even this one 2-1 you know I think it probably should have been 3-1 if we look at those chances that RSL had and and even then you know it just Minnesota United never looked particularly close in this settling for those shots. So, better shot selection is probably the biggest tangible change. I'd hope to see just work it through a little bit more and, and not shoot from distance because you're not going to win too many games with two shots on target on 23 overall.
0: All right, drop a chat. Uh, you know, if you want to see anything specific change for Minnesota United as they move forward, what specifically you want to see different for the Loons? um as uh you know they move into their next match against the strong expansion club austin fc next saturday night right now though gonna switch it up have a little bit of fun let's get into our tweets of the match got four of them Ooh, here for boy. you uh first one comes from our good buddy ruder says today is jan gregush's 50th mls start for mnu fc it's also the first time he's been subbed out before the 70th minute um i'm posting this because this is actually the time i've ever seen the word 50th spelled out
1: Eli, your thoughts? <laughs> um, I, as, a, as a journalist, that breaks from AP styles. I have a little bit of grievance there. That should be um, 50th with the numerals. <laughs> uh, also, I, I love Jeff's work, but the inconsistency, they're spelling out 50th and and then being numerals 70th below. It's an unfortunate inconsistency, but 50th is a difficult word to spell, so it's a little bit of a flex. I I give Jeff credit on that one. Um, eighth, eighth is the one that always gets me. There's an extra eighth h in there that i never think should be there yeah Um, but also it's a testament to to what young great brings to the team that's kind of a a crazy a crazy stat but it shows it shows what kind of a workhorse he is
0: consistency you know Uh, i mean he's he's one of the dps on this team and that's what you want to see is consistency so that's what he's brought um back to the whole 50th thing though i'm just picturing jeff i don't know if he was at the match or if he was working remote or not but just like just like kind of frustrated, maybe a little bored, you know. It's like you know what? I got it. I know what's gonna make the people make the people laugh, make the people smile. I'm gonna spell out fiftieth for all the journalism yeah. nerds out there, and that's that's what yeah. he did. So uh, yeah, you... definitely definitely made me reply. So good job, Jeff. Um, Message received. Next comes from our good buddy Jacob Schneider. Absolutely freezing out here. I'm so cold. Note to self: dress for the weather, not the drip. Uh, Jacob might. My response to this is you were there last year. Like media members, we actually were what it was, it was actually awesome. You know, it was it was one of the one of the things I think I'm most grateful for is media members. Actually, we got to be one of the few that got to take in live sports last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to go to Allianz Field. Now, the way you know the COVID protocols were set up, we were in the I think they call them the loge boxes. Um, yep. right along the concourse there, which, I mean, they're they're not temperature controlled, right? If it's cold, it's cold. If it's hot, it's hot. Yeah. So, Jeff, or Jacob, you were in those load boxes for those September-October matches where it was like 45 degrees. You know better. You know better.
1: He, he really should because the last time uh, both he and I were at a Minnesota United game before today was the home playoff game against Colorado that happened in it was around thanksgiving cuz is when i was home from school and we were in the same large box just freezing mm-hmm. i i don't know what jacob expected but also if he's going to dress for the drip i'm going to need to see a fit pick jacob if you're still tuning in we have to see what the drip looks like
0: also you can dress for the drip and also dress for the weather you can wear a nice little nice little turtleneck you could put maybe
1: like the under armor on underneath so you can't see yeah. it
0: i mean there are ways to make it happen
1: Jacob. a turtle a turtleneck in like an oversized kind of overcoat that's very drippy you get yeah. a little chain in there and, and it's very drippy well we can have a whole conversation we'll make another podcast the drip special
0: the drip special there you go or maybe like a yes. peacoat come on,
1: come Ooh. on jacob. Ooh. i like it we're designing okay. jacob's drip for him from now on we pick out jacob's outfits
0: there you go that'll be that'll be a reoccurring segment let's pick out what jacob yes. wears when yes uh next from E Pluribus Lunum, Eli, I believe you were the one to tweet this out. Unfortunately, yeah, it I, might be a little bit difficult to see. At Kevin Molino in the search bar, uh, how to get your ex back?
1: Yeah. Um, a Google search, thankfully, I've never had to make it before, I'll be honest. But um, I, I had to make it tonight because we, we Minnesota United needs Kevin Molino. They're missing him so much in the attack with his dribbling and his chemistry with Reno, So it's just it's it's hard to watch so um
0: yeah they need I, I hope i quality hope in chemistry and that's honestly yeah. one thing that kevin molino embodied was all three of yeah. those especially with a guy like i yeah. who can make things happen so
1: I absolutely agree. if you're if you're adrian heath you have to hope that kevin's doing well but um but if you see him from across the bar one of these nights you might just go over and say hi and and see yeah. if he feels the same way
0: or just maybe shoot him a text let him know like hey and then hope he Just looks hey, up. hey you
1: up and, and leave it at that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, final one. And this is going to take me <laughs> into a tangent here. Valley <laughs> Sports North. Due to technical difficulties, tonight's Minnesota United game is unavailable on Fox Sports Go. The game can be seen on the CW Twin Cities or TV Channel 668-. We apologize for the inconvenience. This, this tweet would have been great. At about 7 o'clock... If you look at the timestamp here, 8.43 Ooh. p.m. Ooh. I believe we were in the 81st minute of the match when this tweet was right? sent out. Now, I was one of the victims of this technical difficulty. I don't have cable. I proudly say that my fiance and I bum her parents' cable login info to be able to stream these games. Um, and obviously was not able to do so due to these technical difficulties. So what did I have to do? I had to get my trusty Surfshark VPN out, put the game on my phone. You can't cast games to televisions if it's on VPN. So my viewing experience for this game was watching it on my phone, propped up at mm. my work desk in my basement, while also having my computer there for Twitter and, and all that good stuff, and the Google Doc and, and all that. So... It was just not not a stellar viewing experience, and uh, hopefully it changes because that was that was not good.
1: Yeah, I can't relate. My ESPN Plus stream works fantastic. I'm out of market. I, I go to school in Missouri, so I'm out of the the blackout region. So just ESPN Plus it and and we chilling.
0: All right, I'm gonna put a shameless also, plug in here.
1: Oh, oh there Surfshark, we go. Surf
0: Shark Shark slash ten k gets it eighty one percent off VPN service. That's just two forty nine per month. So if you're in the same situation as me and you don't want that to happen to you again, consider that. Surfshark.deals slash 10K to get 81% off your VPN service. All right, Eli, any final thoughts before we skedaddle on out of here? And hopefully I can get up the the correct overlay. There we go.
1: Well, Jimmy, I'd like to actually read a tweet that I saw on Twitter that I think sums this up pretty well. And I'll I'll leave my final thoughts with just that tweet. Uh, It's from Andrew at A-N-D-L-O-V-G a frequenter of Minnesota United Twitter. Absolutely. There's no punctuation at the end of this tweet, so I'm going to read it rather monotone and drab, and that's very intentional. The tweet is simply, does Minnesota United practice individually or at the same time? <laughs>
0: it's those a great question the, based off what we saw tonight, right? Are, it's honestly kind of a yeah, valid
1: question. Those are, those are the questions that I think the fans are asking after tonight, and I think that, that sums up what we've seen oh, uh, pretty, pretty succinctly.
0: All right. Well, it's been an hour, Eli. It's been uh, you know it's been fun to talk to you again. Unfortunately, circumstances dictate that we talk about their Minnesota United loss. But hopefully, the next time we get you on one of these post loop streams, we're able to talk about a win and talk about something happy and talk about the good, great quality that Adrian Unu, Emmanuel Reynoso, and co, and co- are providing to Minnesota United and the turnaround that they have provided after that zero two start.
1: Absolutely. I, when I come back on, I want to be recanting everything I said. I want to be talking about a, a Chase Gasper masterclass. Just, you know, everything going right in the attack. Reno, so dribbling enough for him and Molina, or Kevin Molino to be back. You know, really looking forward to, to that. Minnesota, you reunited. Oh, the branding <laughs> is already there. It's just a beautiful thing. I'm manifesting oh it now. God. But as always, happy to be on. Hopefully, hopefully I'm back for a bit more positive conversation at some point.
0: Yeah, just just not mentioning there that Kevin Molino is out six to eight weeks with uh, with a leg issue. So there's that
1: too. It's okay. He needs he needs time to find himself. Minnesota United needs time to find themselves. They'll both come back together that much more mature, having learned from the experience. This hey, is how it he's goes. Jimmy. Down on
0: his luck. Minnesota United's down on their luck. What a perfect time to come back together, right?
1: Literally can see zero, zero barriers between this happening again. Don't let his this is like distance the for another team or anything. This is yeah. like the
0: beginning yeah. of a rom com when you see two individuals and nothing's they just got broken up with both of them. You know, they're they're eating pints of ice cream on the couch, watching watching sad movies. It's right before they come together, and I feel like we're at that spot.
1: Exactly. I can just see it right now Kevin Molino sitting on his couch with the pint of ice cream sad watching Reynoso dribble in circles by himself tonight like how can I you how can there. you not want that to get back together oh man
0: all right Eli Hoff yeah. e Pluribus, uh, the man eater down at the University of Missouri follow him on Twitter at by Eli Hoff um Eli thank you man again wish we were talking about something a little uh, a little more upbeat a little more happy but uh a pleasure to talk to you as always.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me on, Jeremy. Stay warm up there. Don't drip too hard.
0: I'll try not to, but it's hard for me. I drip hard all the time.
1: Can't turn <laughs> it right, off. can off. We'll see you, Jeremy.
0: Bye, guys. Thank you for thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you after the next game on Post Loons. Bye, bye.